<laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm so glad that we've had a chance to come together today to just think out loud together in this that we've called Transforming the World Through Reflections. And today I am joined by three amazing women that I've had an opportunity to collaborate with before. And uh, there's so much richness to be explored. I'm gonna start by introducing them all and myself. I am Melissa Shepard Williams, and I am a psychotherapist and professor. And with me are three beautiful women. Here is Dr. Kimani Norrington Sands, who is a clinical psychologist, and her work has been for many years with the Los Angeles School District, providing trainings. Uh, focused on a wide range of topics, including suicide prevention and intervention. And in private practice, one of the, the areas of focus has been to support women who've experienced sexual abuse. Her book, Butterfly Landing, serves as a platform for these healing groups. And we'll hear more about this and some more recent projects that she's involved with right now. Now I'd like you to meet my dear friend, Kimiko Warner-Turner, an art educator. And she has brought deliciousness to many events we've worked on together and also my classes as she is an expert in theater of the oppressed, also uh, more near and dear to her heart as theater of the optimist. And it's really been a helpful platform to explore social justice and process uh, ways of resolving the many conflicts that have been going on for generations and that we all know 2020 placed a magnifying lens on. So I'm glad you're here. And my dear friend, Claudia Bautista Nicholas. My goodness, we go back decades. <laughs> and Claudia <laughs> is uh, an immersion coordinator at Santa Monica High School. Uh, she is an extremely dynamic educator uh, that focuses on the power of the arts in this process of deepening insights and expanding awareness. So look at the delicious group we have here <laughs> to explore some more about the pandemic and its intersection with social justice. In January of 2021, who knew that so much would happen in only three weeks? Hmm. Shall we jump in? Let us. <laughs> oh my. Claudia, would you like to start us off? What are your reflections about what's been going on? Well, I think, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me with these amazing women. Um, 
as you know, I'm a teacher. And I think when I always look through the lens of how my students um, experience moments like this. And I think what has been the most amazing part of teaching at the high school level in the past year during a pandemic has not been only adjusting the way that I teach, but also seeing how kids perceive history happening as they are living it. Usually when I taught history, because I do teach social studies, I would teach about things that have happened in the past and how they have some connections to our, per our present. Never has it been, okay, we just saw an insurrection happen yesterday. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So I think one of the things that I'm so thankful for is having been there for my students to allow them to voice their concerns, to process the fragility of democracy and seeing how their voices mattered during the, the past um, election, but also having been with them, because I actually watched the inauguration with them and having all of us tear up when we saw the first woman of color um, who looked like us, you know, take the, the oath of office to become vice president. I, I, I mean, I can't even put words to what that meant, being their teacher and giving them the platform to be able to say, this matters to me because um, and hearing those stories were just, again, I, I was humbled by the experience of hearing how history is affecting this, this incredible generation that is going to transform our world. As we saw with Amanda Gorman, who I am her biggest fan, and she happened to be from Santa Monica. I teach at Santa Monica, and two of my great friends were her English teacher when she was at New Roads High School. So it was all of these things coming together and feeling so much part of a transformative moment. Oh, so it's been amazing. It's been hard, overwhelming, but truly amazing to be there with them. So heartening that in, in the midst of mixed feelings, you know, there will be such a sense of uh, hopefulness in this process. You need to hold on to that. But it wasn't always hopeful. I mean, on January 7th, I remember the first, you know, and what I did, again, when we, uh, we talked before about, about art, rather than talking about them uh, journaling, I had them look at the pictures of the insurrection and we just kind of discussed what do you see, what's in the picture, what's outside of the picture, what's not. And what was overwhelmingly stated at, at that class was how depressed they were because had it been Black Lives Matter, had it been students that looked like my kids do, yes. those kids would have left the, the building in body bags. And they yes. were so clear about that that I think lifting them from that was very mm -hmm. difficult on the seventh and eighth. Mm -hmm. So yes, there was joy at the, you know, last week, but the first week of, uh, of January was devastating. Devastating. 
And you know, Chloe, as I hear you say the word lift, thank you for. I thought I thought money because of your consulting firm named Lifting as We Climb. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, on exactly that, lifting as we climb. Absolutely. Um, so just to um, follow up on what Claudia was saying, right? So we recognize that this past year in particular has been a time for collective trauma for our world. And so seeing recent events and seeing it in real time and seeing it with our peers and with our families really highlights um, how much uh, growth and healing we need as a world and individually. And my hope is that by having more intentional conversations about what has happened and what is happening, that we are starting a healing process where we're not in denial about what's really happening, that we are giving students or everyone opportunity to talk about their truth and speak their truth without filter, and that their reality is being validated to a point where we recognize that these systems of oppression need to be dismantled. We need to challenge, you know, why our reality is in a certain way? Why is it in terms of, you know, depending on what the perceived background is of someone who is, you know, coming out against something might indicate or may dictate what the outcome is in terms of the mortality. Right. So, in terms of lifting as we come, I'm going to center it in terms of healing. It's because that's how I developed my business as a psychologist is that I always felt in any, any work that I do, personally or professionally, that any progress that I make. It is incumbent upon me to lift as I'm moving forward as well. So as I'm moving forward in terms of manifesting my own healing in my own life, that I have to manifest that and support that healing with other people because that's transformative change. That will transform and that will help heal communities. And it has that ripple effect. So in terms of our the honor that we give to our ancestors is that they lifted as they climb, right? And that's our, our sense of responsibility to them that we will continue to lift as we move forward. And our progress means nothing if it's individual. It's not real progress. So we have to look out for our sisters and our brothers so that we all are able to um, live in a way that we should live, right? So we all should live with dignity and respect. Um, so again, it's, it's shifting from that individualized concept to that more communal concept that many groups of color we, that, that's inherent, you know, within us and moving more in terms of that direction. So, you know, I would say that events recently have really highlighted the need for healing. And my hope is that we continue to move in that direction and not just think, you know, oh, we could just go back to the old normal. The old normal wasn't okay. And it wasn't normal. Um, so we need to really look at what needs to be changed and really change it really change it, right? All of us. So it's all hands on deck. We all have to lift as we climb. We do. I love that that's the phrase that, you know, is that at the center of your work because as professionals of color, what a great responsibility we have to lift as we climb. And I thank you, Kamani, for the work that you do because 
part of, a large part, I would say, of this work is inviting our communities into insight so that we don't continue, um, you know, sleepwalking through, through life in survival mode, unaware that thriving can be available with mutual support. So I thank you for the work that you do. And it, it's, it's artful. And with that, I invite you Kimika and Kimiko into this uh, part of the exploration because your work is all about the arts. Oh, it's, it's muted. Thank you, for Melissa, for having me. Um, um, as, as I'm listening to um, your other wonderful speakers, Claudia and Kimani, um, it makes me reflect on how I started the year <clears throat> on Zoom mm -hmm. as a teacher mm -hmm. and how um, I really wanted them to um, express Express what is on their minds. And so in our class, we uh, created monologues about that. And so we started our year um, just in, in our individual voices. But then the next thing that Kimani was speaking of, we took these individual monologues and we merged them randomly together to create mm -hmm. a story and um, of of kind of hope, encouragement, um, things that they were interested in. And um, uh, it was really helpful for them to first find out about each other in a very deep and meaningful way. Um, and the things that they had brought, these were ninth graders, so had brought to the table or brought into the school with them and carried on their shoulders. And then, um, and then going forward. And then, you know, we hit this low at the beginning of January. Um, so this up and down roller coaster mm -hmm. that I feel that we've all been and mm -hmm. having to carry and sometimes asked, you know, to smile through and everything um, was very traumatic. And then we hit a high with um, the inauguration and hope and uh, uh, expectation, I say, um, the expectation that imagination and truth can, um, we can come up with uh, plausible next steps. So as you're saying, not to be go back to a normal, but to create a much broader, inclusive, normal where uh, we all feel comfortable living um, without shutting out voices and without being dominated by fear. So um, I'm really pushing, um, I'm, I'm really pushing against right now. I feel like I have the room to push against the things that are really out there that need to be changed. And I have, I have been rejuvenated in a way to um, continue the discussion, the challenges, and also I have grown a lot more patience mm -hmm. um, to explain 
the process. So that's, uh, that's exciting. I think it's exciting for all of us. As I'm listening to, to all of you, I'm, I'm gathering that as painful as this ex experience has been, uh, there's a, a sense of being energized to do the work that it takes to create a new experience and not call the past normal, like you were saying, Kimani, because it wasn't, it wasn't. Um, it was, it was dysfunctional to say the least. And we really definitely have to invite ourselves and each other into deeper reflection about history, understanding the layers of it how it influences the way we interpret the world around us and inside of us so that, you know, more clarity allows us to make new choices. And with mutual support, because it's not enough to understand the history more deeply, but have the support to navigate the emotions, the, the, the agitation that will come with becoming better aware. And, and that's why I'm glad that the work that all of you are doing involves supporting each other, supporting communities. We can't learn without support. Then there's not gonna be growth, just reliving pain, reliving pain without you know healing, without healing. And so I'm wondering what helps you stay grounded? What helps you navigate this, this difficulty so that you can be more fully present for the communities you support? Can I just say one thing? I think one of the things that has been most important for me is to validate when you are not okay. And I think there's been this, this false sense of like, no, let's, we're going to be okay. And everybody has like this optimism that, that's kind of toxic because it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to have off days. And I think it's voicing that for young kids who are experiencing this and saying, you know what, if you're, if you're not well, it's okay. We need to process whatever it is because I've had kids who have lost parents siblings, uncles, grandparents to the pandemic. I've had kids that, you know, have had to go on and get jobs because their parents are unemployed. So you can't have this toxic positivity when you're dealing with so many difficult things. So I think the one thing that I'm taking away from this year and from this experience is that I need to give myself license not to be okay sometimes to give myself that time to process and then to move on. Because if we don't allow ourselves that, you, we really can't help ourselves and we definitely can't help anyone else. Yeah, my goodness, that's so true. And interestingly, in the last few days, I've been hearing exactly that from some colleagues and students the idea that before the pandemic, their busyness allowed them to avoid feeling their feel feelings, you know, um, really being with what's happening inside. 
and that this situation is really engaging people <laughs> uh, getting in contact with what's going on inside rather than avoiding it. You know, um, I'm going to make a note of a phrase you said, toxic optimism. Wow. That, that is a profound statement. You know, ah, Kimani, what are your thoughts? You think, but, but don't you all think that as women of color, we're told that we're supposed to be toxically optimist all the time? Like, oh, yeah. you have to be optimistic. It's going to be, it's it's like, be right. I think women of color are Yes. Keep going. Don't feel yes. your feelings. Just keep going. There's no space for it. We have to survive. <laughs> yes. Yes. If we have angst or anything, it's a negative mm -hmm. instead of something to be looked at to say, there's something wrong here. What's wrong with this picture? <laughs> right. We need to push into it and then through it mm -hmm. rather than ignore it and keep it buried somewhere yeah. in our bodies. Yeah. You know, it's very detrimental to keep it buried in our bodies. I think that speaks also to that, you know, we have all been socially programmed in terms of what our roles are. And so mm -hmm. the role in terms of we always need to persevere, we always have to do all these different things because of our social programming and sometimes our condition in terms of our social conditioning, right? But also recognizing that part of our resistance is to challenge against those stereotypes, right? So even something as simple as I've been following uh, NAP ministry, you know, on mm -hmm. Instagram. So the power of rest and how rest is actually a sign of resistance because for so many of us, think about our ancestors, they weren't given permission to rest. And even for us, when we say, oh, I need to rest, many of us feel guilty, like, oh, I have other things to do, I, you know, but that is programming. That is a supremacist culture. That is a capitalist culture to make us think that we always have to grind. We always have to work, but also recognizing that it's a maladaptive way to cope with stereotypes that we're lazy or we're all these negative things, but we're killing ourselves trying mm -hmm. to prove people wrong, right? So that's a revolutionary, a sign of resistance that we are actually taking rest. I am unapologetically in love with naps. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, I need to take naps to regroup because I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm mentally, spiritually exhausted. So that's one of the top things on my wellness plan, but I have like an exhaustive, you know, wellness plan because as a psychologist, I'm holding the pain. I'm holding the toxicity of all those that I'm working with. So I'm holding it, I'm processing it. And I'm helping to navigate through it, right? But that takes a toll. So I'm holding all that in my body and my spirit. So I have to find ways to discharge it. So napping, prayer, you know, exercise, yoga, mm -hmm. talking to my friends who are fortunately, many of them are therapists. <laughs> um, so what kind of things can I do to discharge? Because we know that trauma and toxicity holds a place within our bodies and within our spirits, and we have to find ways to discharge it. So I would invite everyone, you know, to come up with a whole wellness plan, you know, not one or two things, like a whole list of things, right? Because sometimes one thing that worked before doesn't necessarily work <laughs> in a certain situation. So just having a, a 
a range of things to go to. Mm-hmm. I am with you a million percent, Kimani, particularly because uh, the topic of burnout is uh, near and dear to my heart. I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirts, and now have a deeper understanding of how connected it is to our historical trauma. Our ancestors uh, did not have an opportunity to replenish. That's a foreign concept. Um, And well, I digress. There are so many creative ways in which our ancestors found a way to connect with the self. And yet, through generations, we have been moving forward, excuse me, maladaptive ways of coping with the idea that, you know, I just have to keep going. So we are also very immersed in the survival mode way of moving in the world that is just eating away at us. So I, I am thankful every time I hear us talking about creating these lists, these practices, giving ourselves permission to recharge uh, instead of feeling that it's a sign of weakness. We've been told that it's a sign of weakness to pause, let alone feel our feelings, you know. But I think what Kimani said about it's part of that, that, you know, conditioning that we had that we're lazy, Yes. If we do that, Mm -hmm. I mean, that is powerful Mm -hmm. because we want to make sure that we don't fulfill that stereotype. And that's why we kill ourselves working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important to, to really teach the new generations that self-care is just as important as hard work. Yes. And I think that's that's what where our work as women, you know, that are going to mentor these young women. That's what we need to do, and make sure that we're getting that into. Yeah, I mean, just to acknowledge it is revolutionary. <laughs> just to acknowledge that we have long suffering, pain, living in our bodies is revolutionary, you know, uh, and, and it's probably one of, of, of many areas that can serve as a launching pad for the, the journey of healing, just recognizing that, you know, pain has been living in our bodies for generations, for generations. So the healing can live in our bodies too with these new practices, these new permissions we're giving ourselves to just be with discomfort in a new way. Can I add something, Melissa? Can I add something, Melissa? Yes. So when we think about how we're starting to have more conversations, recognition about the generational transmission of trauma and how that's in our bodies and our spirits. But we also need to reclaim our generational um, uh, examples of resilience and joy and all of these things that have helped us survive and thrive amidst horrible conditions, right? So how do we also build upon that? And how do we reclaim, you know, moments of joy and love and dreaming? 
So these are all things that we weren't supposed to have, but also those are revolutionary for us as well. So how do we also build upon and recognize that legacy as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, if I can can add, just when I think of how I have learned to, to take care of myself, it's by other women showing me that they're able to pause Mm. and take a breath. And when I'm running 200 miles an hour, and then I, you know, I start talking to a woman, she says, just a minute, I'm going to, I need to have my coffee right now. (laughs) And I'm going to work my crossword puzzle. And then I'll be with you in in 20 minutes. Mm. It makes me realize that I can do the same thing. Mm. Or yesterday, I was up early in the morning, I'm going, I'm texting, I'm doing all these things. And my colleague says, I'm eating breakfast, I'm not going to open Zoom early to speak to you. And I said, why didn't I think of that? I'm going to eat breakfast now too. You know, to take, you know, to take that pause and to realize that, yes, I do have the right to eat breakfast Mm -hmm. uh, and get that fuel that I need for the day. And I have the right to say no um, and come back. And I have the right to be with my family Mm -hmm. and take those important moments with my family and then get the business of, of teaching and working and, and all of that with other people. Mm -hmm. It just makes my work stronger. when I am able to take that pause and take a breath and then pass that breath on to who I'm teaching and who I'm with. So we invite each other with our own behavior, not just talking about, oh, this is what we ought to do, but just in the way that we move in the world, we're inviting our people to consider it. Oh my goodness. And Kamani, you brought up something that that definitely I, I, I would like us to, to go deeper into. The areas of of resilience that also were passed down uh, through generations. You know, there's so many ways in which we have managed to create a sense of connection with our origins. And and that makes me think of the arts, the culinary arts, music, dance. We move a certain way for a reason. (laughs) You know, oral tradition. So many uh, expressions of art that uh, have sustained us uh, through generations. I'm wondering what, what you'd like to, to add to, to that idea of ways in which we've been resilient. Yes, yes. So we know that resilience deals with the ability to come back up after you've been knocked down, right? And many of us have been knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, and historical trauma shows that as well. But when I talk about, you know, really building upon our resilience is recognizing not only the sacrifices that our ancestors went through for us to be here, 
but also how did they manage to survive and how did they recognize that no matter what horrible things are happening to me, it's not destroying my spirit. It's not connect. It's not destroying my connection to my higher power, to my family. It's not destroying that. So that part of me, you can't have it. Right. So, you know, it's like that shield, that psychological armoring against oppression. And so we've seen that happen throughout time. But I also want to be cautious. And when we talk about resilience, that we don't misinterpret that when we talk about we're super strong all the time. Right. So we know the stereotypes that we always have to be strong. No, we hurt. Right. We we are in pain. And Mm -hmm. so resilience does not it doesn't overshadow one of the other, right? But it, resilience talks about a coping strategy to pain, right? And so we need to have voice and acknowledge that we have experienced pain, we still experience pain. And sometimes our resilience needs to be supported by therapy, you know, because there's so much that we have gone through that we might need someone to help us through that process. And we know within many of our communities, there's so much stigma about mental health um, in terms of, you know, what that connotates, right? And we know because of the social hierarchy, we've already got messages that we're less than anyway. And so sometimes people are less inclined to go to therapy because they feel like it feeds into that. But recognizing that therapy, seeking therapy is a courageous act. And it's a courageous act, not only for you in terms of your healing, but also for your family and your community as well. Yes, yes. and. And uh, I have to say that one of the things that worries, oh no, go ahead, Claudia. Sorry, I just wanted to say one of the things that worries me is that so many of the women that I know aren't able to access therapy, uh, either because it's too expensive or you know they're whatever. Um, it's just really difficult, even when you finally are like, yes, I have a need and I need to go through it there aren't that many places where a lot of women of color can go and, and afford it. I mean, that's the reality that I've unfortunately had to mm-hmm. experience with many of the, the parents of, of children that I work with. Thankfully, the stigma is, 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 is being addressed and um, because it, it was an obstacle, you know, therapy being something that we associate with institutions connected to the oppressor. So, you know, we're breaking that stereotype open. And so I wanna invite you Kimani to to talk about uh, the group work you've been doing that addresses exactly that, which Claudia brought up. Yes, so uh, first I wanna address the issue of access because we know that access is an act of oppression as well, right? So that's an example of systemic racism and oppression. So in terms of access, there are different ways to access therapy that is affordable, but many of us don't know about it, right? So if you have any form of insurance, that insurance is connected to mental health services, right? And then within communities, sometimes there are community forms of healing. It may not be therapy, but there might be different types of support groups. And there's different... um, avenues to access therapists that look like us because many times people don't want to go into therapy because they feel like I don't want to talk to somebody who doesn't look like me right but there's many of us out here right 
<laughs> the challenge is how do you find them, right? So there's many resource directories. There's Psychology Today. There's Therapy for Black Girls. There's a lot of resources in terms of by our groups. Mm-hmm. But many times we don't know how to access that. But we definitely need more of us in the mental health field. And so we need to advocate for that because we are a very small percentage of the mental health field. Um, And so part of what I'm doing also in terms of access is that I recognize that individually, I can only impact so many people. You know, I can only see so many people within a day. So I'm like, well, let me do a group, right? Because in a group allows for me to provide services for eight to 10 people at the same time. And it's, it's more um, affordable, right? So it's thinking about what are some cost-effective ways that we can still provide services in our communities. Um, so one group that I'm doing is for Black women who are survivors of sexual assault, sexual abuse, because we know the profound impact that this has on their ongoing functioning, how important it is to connect to that, to recognize that, to feel validated in terms of your experiences. So that's something that I'm starting now. Um, And I'm also going to have a free wellness group for um, black young adults between the ages of 19 and 22, because we know that they're struggling, especially right now, you know, stress management. Um, And this group is free. It's uh, funded by the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. Um, But again, because of the stigma about mental health, it's been a challenge recruiting for the group, (laughs) even though it's free. So there's a lot of things in terms of education within our communities, um, but also that sense of normalizing within our existing forms of healing. So our churches, our beauty shops, our barbershops, all these places that we normally go to help us feel better in terms of how do we partner with them to normalize mental health and wellness so and how to access affordable treatment. Yeah, I'm so glad that you mentioned the diversity of of resources available for people that are still wondering about therapy as viable. You know, what are the other resources? Therapy, while of course, Kimani and I are biased in favor of it, (laughs) we acknowledge that there, there are many other forms of support, we just want people to reach out for support, you know, and, and I'm so thankful for the group that you're doing that may probably funnel people into individual therapy, you know. Claudia, I, I realize that time is ending for you and I'm so glad that you were able to join us. Oh. Thank you so much and I'm so in awe of all three of you continue the good fight ladies we have to yes. <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me and i'm sorry i have to thank you, you for okay. <laughs> nice meeting you <laughs> i can i can see collaborations being born from this group because uh you know so so much so much of what we're learning uh, is aligned with with uh, work interests in this group, you know? What are your thoughts, Kamiko, on the idea of resilience uh, through art practices, which is something we talk about quite a bit? 
Um, well, I think that for me and um, working um, physically with the body and movement and, um, uh, and also in groups um, really helps people see um, how they have things in common, which I think also builds their resiliency to know that there is, uh, there are other people who are having the same kind of experiences or trauma. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really love the fact, um, Kimani, that you are starting this group with uh, black women because uh, um, I think now we are able to, again, get back to some of the groups that have been lost and their voices have been lost mm. um, over the past four years. And, and we need to rise those, we need to get those up into the top of our conversation again. Um, and so art to me, um, I'm working on a project right now um, in collaboration with Waterwell in New York, Waterwell Theater Company in New York, talking, um, well, uh, bringing forth biographical narratives of children and adults who serve time in detention centers at the US-Mexico border. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, again, art allows us to give voice to those that don't have a voice and then um, to keep issues that are urgent, such as these voices and what's going on. It's not gonna happen overnight, even though we have a new president. These things were in violation and they need to really be seriously looked at, these um, detention centers, as well as you know, the sexual abuse that goes unchecked uh, or the mistreatment of black women, um, even you know, at the high school level. So when I hear these things, um, it saddens me that we are at this place still, but um, resilient, resiliency um, comes in when I take in that information and then I find ways to combat it or ways to keep it in the forefront. And so art does that um, with, with the work that I do, art plays a huge role in really um, seeing the reality of um, these issues when we express it through the body and it becomes maybe more deeply felt. Um, people are able to be empathetic uh, with the situation um, and able to say, how can I help? Or how can I um, support you in this? Um, and it's people of color that need to do this um, rather than I think a lot of times we've thought of the white savior mm -hmm. um, as uh, a place to go. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, there, do, there does need to be more artists of color, more um, therapists of color to be able to seek out so that we feel that there's a commonality and we can push forward uh, in a much faster um, pace, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful to hear you say that, Kamiko, about 
the power of, of body work. Whenever you have joined us in class, and I'm referring to the classes for clinicians in training, we always have some really layered conversations about the power of engaging the body in expressing deep-seated feelings and, and the work that you do that's connected to social justice. They have had the opportunity to connect with the clinical training content in a university that, um, if I may shamelessly plug, <laughs> we have a variety of programs that definitely encourage the existence of more therapists of color. We have a program that specializes in African-American family studies, Latinx family studies, and, um, you know, because we recognize that that's, that's part of the healing process so that um, internalized oppression does not take over in the way of looking for the white savior, you know? So I'm wondering, Kamiko, what have you come away with from the theater of the oppressed work with therapists? Therapists in training. <laughs> what have I come away with? Um, well, I, I thought what was interesting in working with um, people who are studying to be therapists and a lot of um, students maybe are thinking about individual therapy um, and have not experienced anything but um, maybe psychodrama. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, bringing in the theater of the oppressed and seeing the depth that you can get to in groups um, by talking, telling your stories, by putting that emotion in your bodies, by expressing how you feel, um, can abruptly change your direction. Um, it, <laughs> I've noticed that I, I got to turn some non-believers into believers, Melissa. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and that was a wonderful thing yes. that all of a sudden there was um, a moment where there was um, an epiphany, if you will, you know, to say, okay, I see it. Um, it's been acted out in front of me. Now I can attack it um, and, and really heal and change my outlook about who I am and also how I can give back. So those are exciting moments, I think, in um, therapy for me. And I'm in no way a therapist. I don't, I don't say that I'm a therapist. I'm just, I am an artist who um, knows this technique and I'm very blessed to have had this partnership with you and wanna to continue to do it. It's, yes. it's, uh, been, it's been a wonderful journey. Well, I, I really thank you because you've invited the art in in the therapy practice. You know, it it it's a it's a a really interesting process and what you have contributed to those classes at Pacific Oaks is having students look more deeply 
into the art practices that have been moved down from one generation to the other. You know, now they, they connect that with what you share when you visit the class and, and they see how important a role the arts play, not only in coping with pain, but also healing. And, and that's been ah, a game changer, a game changer. And on, on, on that topic of the arts, Kimani, you've written a book called a Butterfly Landing that is, is really uh, serving as a platform for so much of your work. Please share about it. Okay. I did wanna uh, speak also to what Kimiko was saying in terms of art and therapy. So we know that the practice of therapy is actually an art, right? So that we are using our bodies in terms of, you know, aligning with people and sharing their pain and um, recognizing when to do certain things, right? So there's an artistic element in that as well. Um, so there's a nice bridge, it's a nice connection between them both. Um, and so my book is called Butterfly Landing and it focuses on the healing journey of a black girl who's uh, survived sexual abuse. And so it's a tool that can be used for girls, but also women. I've recently had a woman in her late fifties read it. And she was like, oh my God, it, it totally spoke to my heart. It spoke to the little girl within me. And mm -hmm. so the groups that I've developed are based upon that book. It's based upon the healing process because a lot of times when you, when you have a trauma, sometimes you get stuck in that developmental age period and the trauma makes you feel a level of distrust and it impacts your view of the world and the view of yourself. And so it's a way to really examine and get in touch with that hurt little girl inside so that we can heal, so we can evolve. And the book was based upon my own experiences as a survivor, as well as my professional experience as a clinical psychologist. So this is me sharing um, my experience with the world, again, lifting as I climb, right? So mm -hmm. as I'm manifesting healing in terms of the traumas that I've gone through, how do I also help other Black women in that healing process as well? Thank you for the work that you're doing, Imani, um, because it invites all of us listening to you to look inside courageously and knowing that support exists, that it exists. Hmm. Support exists and that and that we're not alone, right? Because many times when trauma happens, we feel like it's only us. What's wrong with us? Why did this happen to me? And so for us talking about a topic that has so much stigma, right? And often denial that this even happens in our community. It absolutely does. And so when there's that level of denial, there's a silencing again. So just think about how many women have walked around, you know, their whole lives and not been able to express their truth and not been able to heal from their experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and group work is so powerful in that regard, isn't it? Whether it's big groups, support groups, theater work, as you were talking about, Kimiko, group work is powerful. It lets it lets us know we're not alone, and that that 
is an ingredient that moves everything else forward, huh? And, um, you know, I feel that this pandemic has really engaged us all in noticing the, all the ways in which we are not alone. You know, historical trauma is real. It's undeniable. Um, and as we have explored in previous gatherings, um, fear, thankfully, is not the only force. Courage can, can be a powerful force in our lives. And earlier uh, in today's conversation, before we even started this recording, we were talking about the powerful words of Amanda Gorman during the inauguration. And um, I'm curious about your thoughts on what she invited us to reflect on with her poem. Well, many, many things. Um, one of the things that really touched me was that she is a shining example of black excellence. And we don't see that enough in our world. And so for kids, all kids to be able to see an example of black excellence. So for black kids to see, wow, I can do that, right? So how are we grounding our black kids and their sense of greatness, but for all kids to see that we, you know, have examples of black excellence because many times they only see the negative. And so I just think that it was powerful in terms of what she represented and that she was speaking our truth unapologetically. Yes. Right? yes. So I, I was just deeply touched by her words. Yeah, yeah, yes. Kimiko, what were your experiences of listening to her? Um, well, I, I became very emotional when I was seeing her for the reasons that Kimani has uh, already said. Um, her, her excellence, her, uh, the way she held herself, um, her, her ability to let us in on um, how we could heal and her optimism for a nation, I think uh, was very, very powerful. It's a peaceful optimism with energy behind it mm -hmm. that um, we, all, we all needed. And so um, I, I, I truly was just, um, just enamored with, with what she said. And I think that also um, this idea of kind of never again sowing division Mm. Um, that is a high standard uh, to talk about and it's a goal that we can strive for mm -hmm. so I, I, you know again it was just really really powerful and then I heard her speak later on a news program where she said you know I, I couldn't pronounce my R's when I was a child and so, you know, Biden has a, had a stutter. She couldn't pronounce her R's and here they are in front of our, our nation's capital 
uh, both being very eloquent. Um, was just a, a, a wonderful day to say, keep going, keep, don't, don't let anybody tell you, you can't do something. Um, yes, I mean, she, I will forever play her um, poem. Yes. <laughs> to wake, almost to wake me up in the morning to say, this is where <laughs> we need to go. <laughs> and I also want to add to Kamiko is that she also talked about, like she was an example. She talked about resilience because she talked about the light within, right? So we yes. saw darkness, but we will recognize I am the light. We are the light, right? So even amidst, you know, negativity, we have to keep in mind that we are the light. Yes. Yes. I feel yeah. that, I feel yes, that those it. words, those words about recognizing the light in us, that there is light. And, 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 and to be that light, to embrace that opportunity, to be that light. Mm -hmm. Wow. Definitely to come out of the shadow and, mm -hmm. and be the light. It's, mm -hmm. it's just wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Such wisdom. What an invitation, a powerful invitation from her. So much to reflect on so much to reflect on. Wow. Well, I, I want to thank you all once again for joining me today and, and for us having this opportunity to reflect on these ideas together. Hopefully, people listening to us will take the opportunity to pause more frequently, look inside and reflect and reach out for community. We need each other. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank Love you. you. Thank you, Kimani. Thank you for providing this healing space. Yes. We heal each other. Yes, absolutely. Bye-bye. <laughs>